You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Show. My name's Josh Ayler, joined by Barton Simmons, Trey Scott, later by Connor Tapp. How are we doing today, guys? I'm doing great. Good. I'm excited for what looks like an outstanding slate of games this weekend. Yeah. A little bit of a down week last week. I'm doing great, too. Good. The, the way you said that was implied that I'm not doing great. Well, well nothing, you guys nothing, have been bellyaching about sort of, little cold weather. I have not been bellyaching about it. Much like Tua Tungavailoa, our status for today's game has been somewhat in doubt. Sure. But we're feeling a little bit better. Yeah, I'm, a little, we're on I'm a little under the weather. We're, we're doing okay. Uh, hit us with your questions, comments. We'll read those throughout the show. Have a fan of the week. All right, guys. There's a lot to talk about. The obvious one we're going to start with is the playoff ranking came out last Tuesday. Uh, let's just go ahead and get started at the top. Do we agree with the top four? Well, so Trey's we a big Clemson guy, so let's hear what the big Clemson All right, homer so has well, to just, say. Just so that people at home know, it's Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Penn State, Clemson, and you got Georgia. Do I agree with that? No, I don't. Uh, I don't agree with the top six or the top four. I kind of had a feeling that the like I had a weird feeling throughout all Tuesday that Penn State might start to get some love in the four spot. And it kind of makes sense if you like erase, if you erase the name from the uniform, it makes sense because Penn State's got the win it win in Iowa, it's got the Michigan win too. But I don't I think there's some like contradictions here as far as Penn State is not a better team than Clemson. Okay. And uh, that's what you think. That's what I think. Yeah. And I think that's like an objective. The committee is using Penn State's fact. schedule to put Penn State above Clemson. Okay. And if it was going to care so much about schedule, then I believe LSU should be one over Ohio State if eye test doesn't matter. And if you're going to put Penn State over Clemson, you should go ahead and put Penn State over Alabama because Alabama and Clemson have a very similar resume. I'm almost done. Okay. <laughs> the committee is saying I, t- I, I assume they're saying I, I, I assume they're saying resume over eye test because by all accounts, Clemson's a better football team than Penn State. And Clemson has been put on this pedestal since the preseason that we've all been taking shots at ever since. And when Clemson almost loses at North Carolina, it's a national disaster. But when Penn State, who no one talks about in the preseason, needs a goal line stand and needs Pat Narduzzi to have no idea what he's doing in week two to beat Pitt, that doesn't even register as a blip. So I think there's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit weird. Okay, I, first of all, I think it's, you know, look, what, we, what I think about the playoff rankings, what you think about the playoff rankings, um, doesn't really matter. I think that goes without saying, probably. But I think what really this is about in terms of breaking down the playoff rankings is trying to interpret what this uh, iteration of the College Football Playoff Committee thinks, how they're going to approach it, what, what's their process, what's their uh, perspective here. And I actually agree with a lot of what you're saying I, I think I think you can very much defend Ohio State at one and LSU at two because it's not as if Ohio State hadn't played anybody. Ohio State beat a 7-2 Indiana team, crushed them. They beat a top 25 Cincinnati team by the playoffs estimation, crushed them. Beat a top 15 Wisconsin team, crushed them. Like, it's just, I think arguing one versus two, if you're going to argue against Ohio State, like, I mean... Whatever, like that's a, that's that's futile. There's no reason to engage in that argument. If LSU is your number one, that's fine. But nothing wrong with Ohio State at one. I think where you get into the the I think legitimate questions are, what does it mean to have Penn State four? And I think to your point, if Penn State is going to be above Clemson, then you are talking about resume. And I think you probably should have them above Alabama. If you're not going to have them above Alabama, I think it's I don't see – the eye test doesn't tell me that, that Penn State is better than Clemson. Yeah, Clemson had that one slip-up, but they've been absolutely dominant in every other game. So I think what this tells me about the committee is it's a little bit of a hybrid of resume and eye test. And ultimately, 
our first glimpse at this group tells me that they are going to be willing to um, trust their eyes. And because I, I think what they're doing is trusting their eyes with Alabama. They're saying Alabama is better than Penn State, even though Penn State's resume is better. And so down the road, we're going to see them be able to manipulate these rankings in some ways that the resume might not otherwise allow. And that kind of scares me. If I'm a team of, if I'm a fan of a Pac 12 team, or if I'm a fan of Baylor, if I'm a fan of Oklahoma, Maybe even if I'm a fan of Clemson, I'm a little bit scared. I know that by the end of the year, Clemson should be in the top four because, well, Penn State and Ohio State are going to play each other, and Alabama and LSU are going to play each other. But if the committee is showing right now that it's okay with leaving Clemson out of its top four, well, hey, Ohio State and Penn State and Alabama and LSU, yeah, they've got to play each other and cancel each other out, but they also have a chance to get a few more scalps on the wall. And there's also a chance for the Pac-12 and the Big 12 behind Clemson to do something good. I don't think an undefeated conference champion is going to get left out. I don't think Clemson is going to get left out. I don't think Baylor could get left out either, but I think there's a chance. I'm basically saying I don't trust the committee to sort of go by the book, which is okay. It's okay. The book has been, you know, kind of frustrating sometimes, but I don't trust it as much as I would in the past. I think one of the sort of non-headline issues that I had with it is I mean, I, I, I very much understand having Minnesota all the way down at 17 is undefeated. Like, let's let them prove it. Let's be, let them be somebody with a pulse. But Baylor has a win over a committee-approved top 25 team, Kansas State, committee-approved top 25 team, Oklahoma State, both on the road and undefeated. And those games were by 18 and 19 points. And still, Baylor can't sneak inside the top 10. They get, they're behind a two-loss Auburn. They're behind a... Uh, I mean, I, I just, they're behind both the Pac-12 teams. Um, I, I feel like Baylor probably deserves a little bit more benefit of the doubt as an undefeated team, um, given who it's beaten. And, and I, I think that Baylor's proven a lot to this point. I know we're going to get into it a little bit later in the show, but I do want to ask this question. Can Alabama afford a loss to LSU? Yes. I would have said no, so go ahead. Uh, I think, first of all, I mean, look, look they're, they're third in the country right now. And that says a lot about what the committee thinks about their resume to this point. I think Alabama cannot afford a, a loss by more than one score. I think Alabama has to be in a position to win this game. Uh, fourth quarter, one possession football game. Um, because A, it has the Tua was hurt excuse. B, I think the committee has shown in the past that if a close loss to a team ranked above you, uh, I don't know how to say that. A, a team, uh, for a t- if a team were to lose close to someone the committee deems as better than them, mm-hmm. I think that we've seen the committee just sort of use that to validate their rankings and say we had that right close game. You're not going to move. Um, so I think you know, c- does Alabama need that in terms of beating out another, you know, an undefeated? Baylor, of course. I think does, does Bama need that to, to beat out a, a, another one-loss team? I don't think so. I, I, we'll see how much the, the, the conference championship stuff matters to them, but I think that the committee will be very willing to put an Alabama team, as long as LSU wins out, as long as Alabama wins out, that loses to LSU. Yeah, 538 gives Alabama, if they lose, a less than 1% chance of winning the SEC uh, but a 13% chance of making the college football playoffs. So pretty decent odds for a team that might not even win its division. My thing is Alabama didn't play anybody <clears throat> Sorry, in the non-conference schedule. Their SEC East draw has been poor. All Alabama has, if they lose to LSU, <clears throat> is beating Auburn. And Auburn's number 11 right now. Auburn could go 8-4. and four. And what does that say for Alabama. Like your best win was an 8-4 and four Auburn team that at 8-4 and four is eventually going to be like number 20. Like I don't know how that would get Alabama in over Pac-12 or Big 12, unless the Big 12 is Baylor, and then we've got the situation where the committee is saying, hmm, Baylor or Alabama. I just don't see it. I think, I think LSU can afford a loss. Absolutely. They're on the road. They have the SEC East games that they've played. They've had the win over Texas in Austin. I don't care if Texas isn't ranked, but it's still Texas. I don't think Alabama can afford a loss. I mean, let's, let's look at it this way. If Alabama loses on Saturday, where would you expect the committee, and assuming sort of as chalk otherwise, where would you expect Alabama to fall? Are they going to fall behind Georgia? 
Are they going to fall behind Oregon or Utah? That's the interesting thing is... They're going to fall to fifth, probably. Yeah, I don't see them falling out. Yeah, no way. You know? Yeah. So, so if Alabama's sitting there at fifth and it has to win out, assuming that, you know, the, the teams above it take care of business and then obviously you have to either Ohio State or Penn State loses and there's sort of chalk otherwise... You tell me you can't see Alabama sneak into that four spot by the end of the year? It would take someone jumping them at that point. Someone proving to the committee they're better than the committee thought they were. Teams have gotten jumped before. I know. I know. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying I think it's more it, the, the idea of Alabama losing and still getting in might be a little bit more plausible than you're giving credit for. That would literally be just because they're Alabama. Like no other team could get well, away with this. No other team yeah. would be ranked third with their resume. None. Well, that's what I'm like. What's why is there this perception of Alabama that Alabama is not as strong as past? Is it because two is hurt? Is it because of strength of schedule? Is it? Uh, I think it's. I think defense. It's defense because the, the off, offensively, this is still what number two in the country in yards per play. Um, I think it's defensively, and look, they had their moments with Tennessee. Um, Ole Miss moved the ball on them. South Carolina moved the ball on them. Um, I, I think it's just a combination of the defense not being your typical Alabama defense and the schedule not really offering up the opportunity for them to prove how good they are. Because, look, I mean, there's a very real I – mean, Alabama may, be, may roll in there and just blow out LSU this weekend. And then we're – you know, then all sure. of a sudden all that stuff before is like, well, we should have understood how good this Alabama team is. I guess I just – I can't get past the whole – we're talking about the, the scheduling issues that Clemson is facing. Alabama should be having the same – the same, you know, choir right now. I agree with that. Clemson went out and scheduled Texas a and they already have South Carolina. The ACC is otherwise bad. Wake Forest, at, I believe, 19 is the only other ranked team in the conference. I think, the, I think the difference with Alabama and Clemson and, and Penn State, too, is not that, not that the committee isn't willing to give you somewhat of a pass for having an easier schedule, but it's just like if there's any reason to call your performance against those weaker teams into question, then they're really going to emphasize you, whether you have those marquee wins that Penn State has more of at this point in time I mean, than, than Clemson does. Right. I think that's a good way of putting it. And I think that the... It's the, the committee will dance around this concept of, like, they don't want to encourage or incentivize running up the score. But ultimately, it matters how bad you beat teams. Ohio it, State. It matters what you're looking like. And Alabama, I think they look at the schedule and the difference between Alabama and Penn State and Clemson, regardless of who Alabama's played is, no one has really threatened them. No one has, give, has shown any real semblance of, competitiveness against them. You know, you, you, had to, you know, you had a couple moments. You know, Tennessee had them in the fourth quarter where it could have got to, to a one-score game, whatever. But no one, like, if you do that, the committee doesn't want to out-and-out out say that, but that's, I think that actually is pretty important. And it probably should be. I'm not saying it shouldn't be. All right, so I want to go back to something you kind of touched on earlier. Can the, the Big 12, can they jump the Pac-12? Can they get over Utah? Can they get over Oregon? Can Oklahoma make that jump? Could Baylor make that jump? Assuming that the that the the Pac-12 wins out. Yeah, I guess. correct. I think. Look, I, I at first when I saw how low Baylor was at 12 and how low OU was at nine, I was like, uh oh, the Big 12's in trouble because the Big 12 could conceivably get boxed out by seven Oregon and eight Utah. But start to think about what OU would do if OU wins out. Beat number 12 Baylor twice, okay? Their loss is to number 16 Kansas State. Kansas State's playoff ranking was a massive win for the Big 12. Oklahoma still has a game against number 23 Oklahoma State. Maybe Texas finds a way to get ranked by the end of the season. Maybe Iowa State finds a way to get ranked by the end of the season. I like that resume for Oklahoma a lot more than I like a resume for Utah or Oregon because, again, we've talked about Auburn, and Auburn is such an important team in this entire rest of the month. Because Auburn, if Auburn finishes 8-4, I don't care if it's close or what it looks like, is that that good of a loss for Oregon? Does Oregon lose that Auburn feather in its cap if Auburn goes 8-4, which is what looks like it's going to happen, okay? So Oregon's quality loss, which is, again, a silly phrase that we use, a quality loss, kind of goes out the door. And then you go, who did Oregon beat? 
you know, where's Washington? Where's Washington on these rankings? I'm looking, guys. I'm They're not there. Okay. Yeah. Utah. You got Utah. I, I do wonder with with Auburn and Oregon, the the fact that we've got Georgia at six with a really bad loss to a really bad South Carolina team, it will that end up being the thorn for Oregon that you're positing there? I'm not. I'm not so sure. It might be more on the do they end up with more teams huh. wins over top 25 teams. Are you saying? Are you saying Georgia? Georgia is going to skew this Big 12 Pac-12 argument. He's saying, how can you say Auburn? How can you say that Oregon isn't a better resume or candidate than Georgia when you compare their losses? I, right? I'm saying I don't think that the I, I don't know that the committee is so much worried about it. I, the fact that they have Georgia at six ah. makes me wonder whether they care very much about how bad was the team that you lost to. Well, okay, but uh, they care about who you beat. And right. so, and I, I don't think Notre Dame's all that good, but you've got them at 15, and you've got Florida at 10, so that's Georgia's wins. Anyway, like, by the time Oklahoma, if they can run the, run the table, they can beat, again, number 12 twice. And I, I get that Baylor would drop in the poll from November 12th to the Big 12 title game. You beat number 23, and again, you have a chance for Texas and Iowa State to move up. So I... I had thought that the Big 12 was in worse shape than the Pac-12, but I kind of like where its schedule is shaping up. Well, I, I mean, bottom line is whether you're Pac-12 or you're Big 12, you're, you should be rooting for the best team in your conference. Or, I'm sorry, the second best team in your conference, whoever that is. Like the top teams to win and, and present the best resume possible. In a way, Oklahoma needs Baylor to win out, except for sure. when they play Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And they need that game to be close in a way. Like if Baylor blows Oklahoma out, or sorry, if Oklahoma blows Baylor out. They would say Baylor's a fraud. They would say Baylor's a fraud. It's like, oh, they beat them again in the Pac-12 championship game. Who cares? It's almost like you need Baylor to showcase that it is a quality win. And if you can get then two quality wins at the end of the year, yeah, maybe you do jump that one quality win from Oregon or Utah. Oregon needs Utah to be 11-1 when they play. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that, that could basically decide it. It's like, what happens with Baylor? What happens with Utah between now and then? Well, the schedules are very easy for Oregon and Utah all the way until the Pac-12 championship. I, I wrote it down. Uh, I believe the toughest game among e any of the six is, is Utah playing UCLA. There's an Arizona State game in there somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. Oregon plays Arizona. I just don't. Arizona State could be somebody. Connor, we've got uh, someone. I just lost his name. Uh, Austin Lawson wants to remind you that both of Georgia's wins were top 10 teams. Mm. So, okay. I don't know. Like, I, I guess, you know, Barton made the point, too. Like, this is sort of a new hybrid committee. Like, we're finding out what matters more, losses or wins or eye test or resume or any, any of that. It's kind of a scary world if you're not Ohio State. Truly. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Truly. Connor, what's going on in the... Comment section. Yeah, um, so we have a question from Cody Allen Langston, and by the uh, maybe we've just addressed this in part. I don't know. Uh, the, the playoff committee obviously punished Alabama, Clemson, Minnesota for their week schedule. Why didn't they punish Utah and Oregon for theirs? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't. Ooh. I mean, they. Why would how how would, how would they have punished Oregon or Utah more than where they already are? Um, they're behind Georgia. Um, they are ahead of the two lost teams. The two lost teams. But not ahead of Baylor. Or, sorry, they're ahead of, like, why couldn't they be closer to Baylor at 12? I, well, I think that's a Baylor knock. Like, why isn't Baylor higher? That's not, I don't think that that, that means Oregon and Utah should be lower. I'm fine with where Oregon and Utah are. And, and I think you're going to see the committee try to reward teams for scheduling. Oregon went out and scheduled Auburn. Who'd Utah play? No one. I'm not, okay. but that, that's, but I, regardless, um, I, I think that, to me, are, are, is a reasonable spot for both of those. Are teams. you pissed off if you're a Minnesota fan on Tuesday night? I mean, 17. if I'm a Minnesota fan, probably. But as a non-Minnesota fan, I think that's a fair spot. Okay. Okay. What about uh, Baylor? Yeah, I'm pissed off if I'm Baylor. Okay. Yeah, okay. I think that should be higher. But, I, but as with all this stuff, if I'm, if I'm a coach at those teams, if I'm a player, at, at this point in the process, this doesn't matter. Win. Win. It'll take care of itself. Dwayne Tick Coleman says, man, I've been waiting all week for this show. Go Tigers. Thanks, Dwayne. Which Tigers? Nice. Oh, it's, it's LSU. You okay. can tell by the way you spelled go. Go. Uh, <laughs> nice. Um, 
Uh, and Jacob Rockwell, and I haven't fact-checked uh, what he's saying here, but he says, Ohio State hasn't played anyone who ranks in the top 30 in recruiting. They've easily out-athleted their competition. Do we think that changes when they run into uh, some teams with some better athletes? I'll check the talent composite. Um, so that's an interesting comment, honestly. Um, Nebraska's 24th. Nebraska, Wisconsin. I mean, it's an interesting thought. You know, obviously that's that'll be re- – uh, I mean, I don't, I'm sure who, I mean, Alabama hadn't played anyone that's probably ranked in the top. I guess maybe South Carolina, Texas A&M, so they probably have. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that's, you can't really factor that into how you rank these teams. I think it's a fair way to look at if you believe in Ohio State moving forward and if you want to fade them against the, the spread. But, uh, I mean, they've played, they've played good teams. they played teams that are having really good years, and they've dominated them which is uh, those two points is something no other team can say. Does LSU jump Ohio State if they beat Alabama? That's a good question. Probably. I'm interested in the, yeah. the week-to-week uh, fluidity we're going to see. I think it probably does. Okay. Right. I do. Uh, William Wagner says, first time I have ever agreed with Trey. It's amazing. <laughs> Penn State should be in front of Bama if they are in front of Clemson. Uh, and Joshua Todd McClendon asks, uh, what if Auburn beats UGA and Bama? Presumably mm. that's asked in the context of do they have a shot at the playoff. Or for what it's worth, and I'll throw it to you guys, uh, 538 gives them a 15% chance of making the playoff. If so they, they got two losses? Auburn 72. Yeah. So I believe LSU would still own its tiebreaker. Yeah, I mean, SEC West-wise, they're, oh, okay. yeah, they're done. But yeah, do yeah. they get in anyway with two losses? If oh, oh, could they get in without getting to the SEC championship game with those wins? Is that I, the question? I think that's the scenario. It has to be. So no, I don't think so. Then whoever they would wins, have to, they would have to look pretty convinced, like dumb. Yeah, yeah I right? think then whoever would win the national, the SEC championship game is in, and that's the only SEC team in. There's going to be two teams from one conference in, whether it's SEC or Big Ten. There's going to be two teams from one conference in. I, I really think that. Uh, we we uh, just got a question in from Fred Andrews Jr. And uh, maybe we can pivot into our next topic from here. Um, he says, "Who will be?" Florida State's new head coach. Man, okay, this guy is all right. awesome. All right, all right. Let's just go ahead and save that one for. Let's just okay. go ahead and start with. So Willie Taggart was fired on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if people are surprised. I I was a little surprised by it, but uh, maybe not a total shock. Um, so let's let's start there. What happened with Willie Taggart? I mean, where did it go wrong? You couldn't beat your rivals. You couldn't figure out your quarterback play. I mean, Barton, you probably have a little bit more of a cogent analysis here as the one who, you know, played. But they were bad. Four and five, nine and 12 in two seasons. Was any, did anyone think they were making progress? They okay. were making progress. Oh, come on. They were. That's like a nice mid-September take. Look, That's no, a nice week I'm, one. Were, were they Connor making, said it week no, one. No, no. Come they, on. Were they making enough progress? I mean, that's, that I is. I know they were making progress. I mean, I, I guess if, I'm, if we're talking about from like advanced analytics and just efficiency ratings and what the, the on-field product was, this is a better team than last year's team. Okay. That doesn't mean it was a good enough team. I'm not saying he shouldn't have been fired, though I tend to believe that you should give a coach three years. I mean, I, I know that <laughs> I know you're like, you're like Shrugging your shoulders and rolling your eyes about that. No, I'm not. I, do you not believe that? Do you think that this is a that this was a, an appropriate firing? Yes. Okay. Yes. So look, hey, look, I don't care what you do. If it's your 17 million and you feel like you can do something smart with it, you spend that money and you go and get. Now we'll talk about it. I don't know what they do in the coaching search. I don't think there's a home run candidate out there. I don't think either Stoops really fits the bill here. I think. I think Willie Taggart was doing a bad enough job at a program that was already in a rut. And yes, there was progress between from the worst Florida State team in 30 years, which was what we saw last year. And so this team was merely the second worst Florida State team in 30 years. And I think at some point you just say, nah, this isn't working. That's fine. And and I'm look, I yeah, it's but not like you're Willie Taggart defender. No, right. Uh, principally speaking, I think, and, and especially with Willie Taggart, who has actually shown, whether it's at South Florida or Western Kentucky, less so at Oregon, but at those two stops, he has actually shown he is, by nature, a slow starter as a program builder. Those were ugly, ugly 
experiences through the first two seasons. And so if you're going to hire Willie Taggart to a program that is in a bad rut relative to their historic expectations, and you're going to expect him to turn it around in, in one year, I think that's, that's unrealistic expectations. So I would, I would mount that defense of Willie Taggart. Now that said, the hire is defensible on a lot of levels. Uh, Hiring him? No, the fire. Oh, yeah. Firing. The Brent, Brendan Sinone for our Florida State site did an outstanding job breaking down several of these issues. One, coordinator hires was an issue. Um, hired Harlan Barnett and didn't seem like they were ever aligned there. Hired Walt Bell as offensive coordinator. He was gone after one year. Hires Kendall Bryles. How much did he can the reins over to Kendall Bryles? Not much. He did, a, he did a poor job of assessing the roster of where they needed to fill holes, specifically on the offensive line. He did a terrible job of recruiting quarterbacks. Never two, signed one. Two straight classes. Class 2018, class 2019, zero quarterback signed in the, out of the high school ranks. That's bad. And they lost one of them in part because they mishandled uh, Sam, Howell. Sam Howell, who is having a great freshman season in North Carolina. When they lost Walt Bell to the UMass head job, there was no relationship there, and Sam Howell was out the door. So mistakes there. Wasn't able to fix the offensive line. They, they made some missed, like they, they, they tried to appeal taking an assistant coach off the field, failed to, to win that appeal. So they coached one coach down this year in terms of on-field coaches. Um, the, so just a lot, and, and, and not only that, the, the, the product looked bad on the field. They were 129th in the country in penalties over the last two seasons. Um, the, not only were they losing, but they were losing with undisciplined kind of a, an ugly product. Um, so there's a lot, a lot you could pit, point to and pick at in the Willie Taggart tenure. Um, again, I, I, I think you should give a guy three years, but to your point, Trey, look, hey, if the guy that's, the guy that's making the decision wasn't the guy that hired him anyways. And uh, the, there were clearly financial issues at play in terms of the money they were losing. So, hey, if you got to make a move, make a move. We, we, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, I, yeah. does this, do you think this scares coaches away from taking that job with, with them pulling the trigger so quickly? I think just the, the general, what appears to be, um, yeah, they aren't aligned and, and there is a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. I don't know how, how best to say that, but the, the boosters, the, um, the athletic departments, the president's office, I mean, all, all of these groups don't seem to be on the same page, haven't been on the same page. People that understand the tal- politics of Tallahassee and, and of, of Florida State could be able to dig in on that a little more than I can, because I don't know that those politics that well. But just in, in, in sort of reading up on this, there's a lot going on at yeah. Florida State that makes it a tricky job right now. Let's take a look. We have the sports on odds of, of who could be next, uh, just real quick. You know, these odds always come out, and I think you take a lot of them with a grain of salt. P.J. Fleck was on here. We left him off the graphics because he has agreed yet not signed a new seven-year deal to keep him at Minnesota. I don't – look, I kind of just want to pick through these, and we can move on. Matt Campbell I don't think would go. I think Matt Campbell, the Iowa State coach, wants to stay in his his range. The Stoopses are interesting. Brent Venables is interesting. Urban Meyer is a pipe dream not happening. So, look, there's, like, no real sexy candidate here. I mean, there's, well, there's plenty of sexy candidates. So how hireable are they, are they? Like, can can Florida State lure a James Franklin? Can it get a Bob Stoops? The, you know, my, my inclination is that they can't uh, because of some of the things I just talked about. So then who's realistic? Um, you know, I think for Florida State, given that there is such a high ceiling, you need, I think you need to hire someone that has proven that they can run a program and, and I think proven that they can recruit. Because I think I've changed my view on this. You have to be a good recruiter. Like there's a high ceiling at Florida State from a recruiting standpoint. You can recruit national title rosters, but you have to be a good recruiter to do that. Yep, because yeah. down in Florida, they're having that, 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 that issue. Yeah, and, and, and there's just so – I mean – Alabama is crushing it in Florida right now. 
Georgia's getting big-time talent at Florida. Ohio State has camped out down there. Now Penn State with Juwan Sider, one of their assistant coaches, is has got a great um, track record or you know recent years getting into Florida. So it's just a tougher environment to where you can just you know do the tomahawk chop and all of a sudden you you know guys are going to be lining up. I think it's different now. So you have to be able to recruit, and I think you have to know how to run a program. And that's why I'm a little I'd be a little hesitant to hire one of like the Clemson coordinators. Um, and I'd be, I think a Mike Norvell type hire is actually one that I would be, I feel like would be a good hire. Um, Memphis coach. Yeah. The Memphis coach. So we'll, we'll see. That'll be really interesting. I'm going to turn it to you. Are you worried about Mark Stoops? I am worried actually because I think he would, I think he'd be dynamite there. I really do because let me tell you something. As everybody knows, I'm a huge Kentucky fan. I've never seen a 10 win season. He took him to 10 wins. I never thought that was possible in Kentucky. And I've been, I've been reading a lot of comments of Florida State fans, and some of them are on it. Some of them don't like the, the fact that he's up for the job. But what he's doing at Kentucky is nothing short but miraculous. It really is. Because that is not a football program. He's recruiting there the best he can, and he, I bet he can recruit better down in Florida yeah. State. Because, I mean, it's just hard to win at Kentucky. And what he's doing there is amazing. I—, I so I'm just saying I would take a hard look. I don't think it would be a bad hire at all. If I really I, don't. If I were to put – if I had to go to the, to the Vegas window and put a ticket down, I think I would probably pick Mark Stoops. Me too. I, I think that – because, of I mean, A, the resume's there, but also just there's a, it makes a lot of sense. He's coached there before. He can recruit. He's, he's really uh, revitalized Kentucky from a recruiting standpoint, sort of pushing them north instead of south. Um, and he can run a program, and yeah. he's, he's had success in the SEC. So I, I think Mark Stoops is probably, if you're looking for just sort of smart money there, I bet that's where, the, I mean, that, that feels like a direction they'll definitely kick the tires. Uh, Fred Andrews Jr. asks, uh, what about Matt Rule? I wonder if Matt Rule's looking for the NFL in your, his third straight year of trying to go to the NFL. I think Matt Rule would be a great hire, too. Sure. Um, he, you know, Matt Rule is a very, he's a chameleon in the sense that I think you can plug him into any geographical area and, and he's going to have success. He's um, a great coach. He's a great developer. Yes. He, you know, he is evaluator. A, he's a great evaluator. Now, he has had to be more resourceful from an evaluation standpoint. I'm curious if he would yes. be able to sort of change his mentality to, to, you know, chasing the, the, the five stars. Because that doesn't always play well. Yeah. At the, at the school that wants the five stars, right. why are you giving me the long, lanky three star? Right, right. That's interesting. So, uh, but I, I mean, there's no, I don't think there's any question that he would be a good hire if they decided to go that route. And he'd probably, I mean, he'd probably be open to it. He's open to every other job. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. Uh, LSU is traveling to Alabama this week. Let's go a little deeper. Let's take a closer look. Get ready for another game of the century. Multiple matchups have been billed as the game of the century since the dawn of college football 150 years ago, but there are four games in particular that stand out since the turn of the 21st century, plus a potential fifth in this Saturday's clash between LSU and Alabama. In order to be considered the game of the century, you need to have a one versus 2 matchup in the AP poll, with both teams undefeated and star players littering the field. Texas and USC gave us that in the BCS National Championship after the 2005 season. So did Ohio State and Michigan in the regular season finale a year later, as did Florida and Alabama in the 2009 SEC Championship. The LSU-Bama matchup stands alone as a game of the century, though, as it's the only one that has struck twice in early November. The first one occurred in 2011. It was a low-scoring slugfest that saw the Tigers get the best of the Crimson Tide 9-6 in overtime. Part two is bound to be much different. Now, LSU and Alabama have two of the most potent offenses in all of college football. Both units rank among the top 10 nationally as each one averages over 500 yards and 45 points per game. These offenses are led by two of the nation's leading Heisman Trophy contenders in Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. And the outcome of this game will not only determine the lead dog in that race, it'll do the same for the SEC title race, the playoff race, and potentially the race to win this year's national championship. All of that is on the line this Saturday when one and two collide, undefeated records are put to the test, and stars get the chance to become legends. With so much riding on this matchup, LSU-Bama Part 2 could go down as the one and only game of the century. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. 
audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, fellas. Do we think this game is going to live up to the hype? Yes. Yes. This will be awesome. This game is going to be amazing. And what's crazy about this game, I actually, I think a lot, I'm hearing a lot of people that know what they're talking about feel like the, the Vegas point total is a little high. I mean, it's yeah. still Alabama, LSU. Seven. You know, there's, no, I, I'm talking about the, the point total. 65 points, 63 points, whatever it is. Okay, okay. Um, saying it's going to be high scoring. I actually think it is still going to be high scoring. Whether it hits the over, I don't know. But I think this is going to be two teams that have a hard time stopping each other, which is crazy to say considering there's NFL talent all over the field for both of these defenses. I think that's just how good these offenses are. And so you look at Joe Burrow on these clips making these plays. Um, it's going to take playmaking to, to, to win this game. And, and both these teams just have so many playmakers. And so I, I think this is going to be – Everything that we, we paid for, everything that we expect, everything we want, um, just listening to Coach O talk at press conferences this week, like you can just see him like bubbling with confidence and excitement, and I'm right there with him. I, I think this is going to be fantastic. I'm excited for a Big 12 track meet to take place on those hallowed of SEC grounds. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think this game comes down to turnovers. I wonder if Tua is 100% healthy. There's reports out of Tuscaloosa at this point. Nick Saban seems pretty happy with how Tua's progressed and how he's practiced and rehabbed all week. So I would expect at least 80% Tua. Was he that confident last year going into the Oklahoma game, though? Or the Georgia game. Like, that's, that's the issue. If yeah. Tua's not healthy, we'll know immediately, and the results are probably going to be a little bit uglier. If he turns the ball over like he did against Georgia, I think Alabama's in big trouble because Joe Burrow has done a really nice job of not turning the ball over. One subplot here. Derek Stingley Jr., the LSU cornerback, the true freshman, one of the best true freshmen in the year, is maybe one of the best cornerbacks already in college football. Like, what, what, what does he do with the Alabama receivers? Does he just stick on Judy? Does he stick on Ruggs? Does he just lock down one side of the field? What if, and, and we haven't ever seen this in two years now, of Alabama rolling out the best receiving core in college football history, what if Stingley can just stop one of these guys? Doesn't matter. It does. No, but what it Stingley does. Can, it does, though. What, what Stingley can do. Because Tua's never had his options taken, never had one option taken away. I, I disagree. I mean, I think that's the whole point is like if you bracket somebody or you or someone, I mean, I think it's one, one LSU defensive back, whether it's Derek Stingley, whether it's Grant Delpit, who, by the way, hasn't been practicing right. this week, which is Coach kind of a big so. storyline yep. that's under, undersold yep. here. Um, whether it's Christian Williams or Fulton, Fulton. rather. Uh, like, if one of those guys plays out of their mind and, and Bama can't get off the line of scrimmage against them, who cares? Like, I hope the other guy's playing well. I hope your, hope your nickel's playing well. I hope your dime's playing well because there's so many different guys that can beat you. And it's the same way on the other side of the ball. When you look at the way LSU has been limited this year, they've really only been limited by one team, that's Auburn. And they, they, they ran like 95 plays against Auburn. But the way Auburn was able to limit LSU – was and they held him to under six yards per play, but they did it by playing uh, dime and quarter covers. I don't even know what they call it, but we called it quarter coverage in college, where you have seven defensive backs on the field. It's like it's a, it's a team of defensive backs. Like that's the only way you can really slow down this LSU team. Florida had and and that when you look back at that game, you know LSU averaged over ten yards per play against Florida. And Florida played 98% nickel. Like, nickel's not good enough against this LSU wide receiver group. So they're just as good. I really, I mean, I think I believe this. Like, LSU's group of Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson in particular, <coughs> those two guys are as good as anybody Alabama's got. And you throw Terrace Marshall in there, Ooh. and that's, as, as, that's a pretty good group. There are seven NFL receivers on this field on Saturday. At least. Yeah. At least. That's sick. I haven't counted the defensive backs, but there's at least four or five. No, I mean, look at uh, Derek Stingley's probably a first-round pick. Oh, yeah. Uh, Delpit. Grant Delpit's potentially a first-round pick. Christian Fulton's potentially a first-round pick. Okay. Teron Diggs is potentially, potentially a first-round pick. Patrick Sertan. Xavier McKinley's pa uh, potentially a first-round pick. Uh, Pat Sertan's potentially so a first-round pick. Literally, you're, like, you're looking at maybe six first-round picks in the secondary. Two quarterbacks are going in the top five. And they're going to be fortunate if they hold these other if they opponent under 30 points. It's crazy. Now I'm getting excited. 
<laughs> I was mostly excited for Texas what's the, State what's, at the same time. So. What's the total in this game? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's 63, 65, somewhere in that range. Okay. I, yeah, I don't see a whole lot of punting, but uh, whatever. Uh, Trey, you want to set me up? Oh, it's already time. Okay, Josh's big bet. Josh, you went to Las Vegas this summer. You played in the World Series of Poker, and you won. And you got $22,000. You've blown it all on Apple Watches and trips to Dillard's. And so we've asked you each week to bet $22,000 on, on a game that you don't know about yet. 154. Did you win your bet last week? No. No. I feel like that's a little, uh, oh, I guess, that feels low. I guess you were, what, one? I was like I 130. He was one, he, yeah, right. he was hey. Okay. So he's going to open this up, and you have 15 seconds you have to, to bet read it 20, out. How much are you going to bet? Yeah. Okay, so you're betting twenty-two thousand dollars increments, well, or you can bet it all. I have a few questions. This should have probably been asked in the production meeting, but yeah. does this go on to the bowl season? Are we carrying this on, or we'll see? Yeah. Or do I have four weeks left? Because it matters. Because I'm gonna have to start. Okay. I mean, I would get, I would get on your horse. And if yeah. he finishes yeah, in going. the red, he's this taking is... his wife out on a date night during a Kentucky basketball no, game as no. his punishment. No, no. Read no. it out. Okay. Yeah. Tennessee minus one at Kentucky. Of course, you know that's what I thought. Uh, <laughs> the clock started yet. I'll go Kentucky. Oh man, I'll go Kentucky, and I'm gonna uh, be sure about it. Now. I, I, how many? So how many can I go? You can go as much as you want. One fifty-four. You wanna go twenty-two? You wanna go all? Uh, I'm gonna go all. What? One fifty-four. Yeah. All right. Great. If he ends He's up, going all in. Okay. It's called going all in. Okay. It's a poker term. <laughs> Surprised you to know that. I just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred and fifty-four. We're staking him, right? We're staking you. It was probably a mistake. I just did there, right there. Well, that last week you. When One fifty-four. You can go. You can switch it. You want to go? No, 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 no. no. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going Kentucky. Uh, all right. Take a Palooza. Hot takes. Trey, you're up. So, guys, if Willie Taggart's out here getting fired, I've got another candidate for a firing season. Chad Morris at Arkansas. Last week during role play, I had to defend him. It was all an act, guys. I was just playing the part. This is his last game at Arkansas. They play Western Kentucky. They're hardly favored. Western Kentucky is starting Arkansas's former quarterback, Ty Story, who Chad Morris decided was not good enough to be his quarterback. Brought in two grad transfers. Neither of them worked out. Now we're starting Jerry Jones' grandson in the ultimate act of sucking up like we've never seen from a college football coach. They're going to lose. He has yet to beat an SEC team. He has a ton of bad losses. I like Chad Morris. I thought he was going to work out. I am usually advocating for giving him some more time, but this program could not be sinking further and further toward rock bottom. He's out. I was looking at something. Did you mention the Ty Story storyline? Yeah. Yeah. How he, he basically said, Ty Story, you're not good enough. We're going to go to Ben Hicks or Nick Starkle. If Ty Story with the Western Kentucky roster beats Chad Morris, that's, sort that's of, fireable. What sort of like thing are you looking at? In the middle of my face. <laughs> I was looking, I was reading some comments. Okay, all right. All yeah, right. I was okay. it, it, just yeah. checking you. All right. So go ahead. I'm going to, you know, check up on the weather and let's see your take. Uh, it's going to be cold tomorrow. Yeah, so <laughs> Scott Frost. Oh, come on. Is it four and five right now? Yeah. I believe. But he's our boy. Hot take. He's our boy. Uh, year two finishes at four and eight. Now, five and seven is not a reach at all. Uh, that means a loss to Iowa, a loss to Wisconsin. Uh, four and eight means included in there is a road trip to Maryland that Nebraska is unable to get a win out of. Um, there, there's some issues here, and I, I, I'm not giving up on Nebraska under Scott Frost. Ever. Never. We'll never die. Never. Uh, but as we sit here today, suddenly Adrian Martinez doesn't quite look as – Promising as he once did, the talent and speed is not looking UCF-ish. It's looking very Mm -hmm. Nebraska-ish. And I just feel like that's going to be a tough spot potentially to head to, uh, what is it, Uh, College Park? College Park. Park. Yeah, College Park, Maryland. Um, So I'm going, yeah. Well, they're going to finish. They're going to be underdogs in the with the Iowa. Sure, and they, they're expected to lose. Yeah, so they're going to look. I'm staring five and seven hey, straight. This up. time last year, they had I'm, they had barely won a game. So let's see. I trust in Scott. That's right. All right. Hope uh, I'm wrong. Hope I'm wrong. Connor, what's the questions and comments? Yeah. Um, so Jim Crooks wants an update on what we're thinking Heisman wise. Oh. Joe Burrow. I think the last time we convened on this subject. You're a big anti Heisman guy. Right. You don't yeah. like talking Heisman? I like Heisman just fine. Okay. Uh, Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow's to lose. 
Is Joe Burrow to lose? The only reason I made a face is because this weekend's like, we might as, like this weekend's the Heisman weekend. Like, like Jim, sh- Jim, whatever we say here could just fall flat on its face because the winner of Saturday's game takes the front, you know, front runner for the Heisman. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, if this is a, if, if Tua and Burrow combine for four picks, then maybe, maybe Chase Young wins the Heisman. Barry Culver, before we get into this thing, why not give up on Frost? Y'all gave up on Taggart, double standard. Yeah. I didn't give up on Taggart. Question. Look, 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 look. Scott and I'm Fro- not giving up on Frost. Willie Taggart's best teams never eclipsed what Scott Frost was able to do at Central Florida. He's got a much better offensive mind. I, I, yeah, I don't let's, go- let's be clear, Barry. Going there. Let's be clear, Barry. I'm not giving up on Scott Frost. If if I'm I'm no, saying he's saying why not give up on him if you gave up on Taggart? Oh, why not give up yeah. on Frost? Y'all gave up on Taggart. I I see. believe Scott Frost is a better coach. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think that Scott and plus Scott Frost is sort of the 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 mind behind a lot of what happened there at UCF. Whereas uh, you know, Willie Taggart has sort of pieced this together at different spots, and I, I just think that. Scott, for, yeah, you said it. I, yeah. don't, I don't need to yeah. say it anymore. Yeah. Also, just like politically, you know, firing Scott Frost from Nebraska is a much different question. Well, that, he, is their last well, chance. Been, he is their last chance. It's also been much last longer chance. since Nebraska was nationally relevant. So I think sure. that we're, we're holding them to a little bit of a different standard. But, like, how long is his leash? How long does he four. get? Four. Four? Can you imagine They're not. I, I, I could Scott see Frost. them going longer than four. Actually. Oh, I, I agree. I'm trying to say it's not. It's certainly not next year. No, I don't think so either. I think I, yeah, he gets three years regardless, and then he's going into the fourth on the hot seat if they can't get it right next year. Isn't it crazy though that remember talking about these coaching hires? We went through all of them. Who's the best one, Mullen? I guess uh, Mullen. Yeah, I mean, some are starting to turn the corner. Jerry Pruitt's showing some life. Chip Kelly's showing some life. Uh, but it is yeah, it's Dan Mullen who was my favorite that entire cycle. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's making it look easy because Florida was, what, a four-win team before he took over? That's wild. Yeah. Uh, and this may be another question that's kind of contingent on what happens this weekend, but Joseph Fusilier asks, uh, you think Coach O has a shot at being Coach of the Year? Yeah. yeah. Why not? It's a big game hunter. He's been taking down top 25 teams. He's so underappreciated. All right. Coach of the Year candidates. Coach O, for sure. Scott Satterfield at Louisville. Um, Chris Kleiman. Chris Kleiman. By the way, you're going way too off the beaten path. It goes to the, like the a playoff coach. Who goes so to like Nick Dabo, Saban. James Franklin, <laughs> Nick Saban, Ryan Day, and Coach O. Yeah, Ryan Day. I think Ryan Day would deserve it. Maybe coach Matt Rule. Yeah. That's all we got. Okay, cool. Uh, let's get to the fan of the week. This week it is Les D. Morgan. Let's see Les. We have some, we've had some good fan of the week questions here. Buckeyes. All right. Hey, guys. When the Buckeyes. Orville Hughes. Huh? What would you call him? Uh, I got Les D. Morgan. Oh, well, I think it's Orville Hughes, apparently. Well, okay. The question that I have is, hey, guys, when the Buckeyes beat Penn State, I believe if it's a close game that Penn State should also be looked at for the college football playoff. Should two Big Ten teams be looked at? Yeah, they should be looked at, and I think two Big Ten teams have a real shot. I think a much more likely scenario, I think if you're, like, say, rooting for two Big Ten teams to get in, um, I think you would root for Penn State to beat Ohio State, not the other way around. I think if Penn State loses to Ohio State, it would be a hard sell for Penn State to get in. I think if Penn State beats Ohio State because Ohio State's been so dominant elsewhere, because Ohio State would still have that Michigan win left to go, uh, I think Ohio State would still have a really good chance of getting in. Interesting. Funny, uh, those two teams were in the exact opposite scenario in 2016. Don't sleep on Minnesota. Big Ten, what are, you know, two Big Ten teams, two SEC teams. If you guys want an expanded playoff, that's what we got to have to happen. So. I actually have Orville's question if you want to take that one too. Oh, what was Orville? Uh, Orville says the, com- the committee needs to put eight teams in the playoff, five conference champions, champions, and three, three of the next best teams. My problem with that is guaranteeing one of the conference's champions, like all of them should not, they don't. I mean, we're going to have the exa- same exact issue. Like, what if it's a really down year in the Pac-12 and you've got Georgia looming as a team that should be in the playoff? Just throwing that out. There. That's a whole, that's a, yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. big, big can of worms. I know. I don't want to open it yeah. up either. I want to get to the picks, too. Yeah. But I just, I don't know. I don't know. All right. Well, let's get to the picks. Let's see the standings, huh? Uh, let see these standings. I don't want to see I think see Connor it. may have taken the lead this week. I don't even know why you guys are letting me pick games anymore. Oh, I actually uh, did really? okay, though. Congrats, Connor. Ooh, look wow. at that. 
Nine and one with Connor. All right. Eight and two for me and Barton and Trey down that seven three. I won last year. All right. God, I'm out. <clears throat> All right, let's go ahead and get started. Number 18, Iowa, at number 13, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a nine and a half point favorite. Yeah, I think we've seen you put that Iowa offensive line under any pressure, and it's very difficult for them to do anything. Being at Wisconsin, going Badgers. In a matchup of really uninspiring quarterbacks, um, I'm going to go Wisconsin. I like the balance more with Wisconsin. Uh, they've actually, uh, historically, they've been winning this game lately. Um, they've been winning it by 9, 10, 11 points. I, I think Wisconsin is more balanced. Uh, that defense, I mean, both those defenses will be tough to move the ball on. But low-scoring game, Wisconsin wins. Wisconsin's a 9.5-point favorite at home. I'm going with Wisconsin. Number 12, Baylor is a 2.5-point favorite at TCU. Yeah, I was real tempted to go with a TCU to pull the minor upset here, but I'm I'm nursing a lead. I gotta, you know, run the clock out and play conservatively and go with the favorite here. I'm going Baylor. You know, Baylor almost lost last week to West Virginia. No one talked about it. Uh, I went Baylor. TCU is too inconsistent. You never know what they're gonna get. I do think Baylor is about to start slipping up the next week against Oklahoma, but not against TCU. Baylor almost doubled up West Virginia in yardage. That was a bit of a fluky game that night. TCU has. Uh, Two quarterbacks have left the team, Justin Rogers and Alex Delton. Max Duggan injured his hand late in the game last week. Michael Collins, the, his backup came in, got injured again. So you got an injured Max Duggan, who's a true freshman with a walk-on behind him against a Baylor team that got refocused based on a close loss or a close win last week. So I'm going Baylor winning in a smooth, I don't know, smooth win, smooth, like very uh, smooth, very uh, smooth. Smooth wasn't the right word. Stuck that landing. Yeah. Uh, I'm taking Baylor. I've been picking against them all year, uh, so I might as well hop on the train. I'm picking Baylor. Louisville at Miami. Miami is a six and a half point favorite. Yeah, I like I like the direction both of these teams are going in lately. But uh, being at Miami, I'm going to go with the Hurricanes. Miami is absolutely susceptible to laying an egg, and I think I'm the only one here who's seen Louisville in person this year. I really like the Cardinals, but this point spread's way too high for me to pick against Miami. Uh, look, the the last time we saw Miami have a really big win and then come back home with a team they're supposed to beat, it was this year. It was Virginia, big time win, come back home, Georgia Tech, loss. Clunker. Well, you're really on this train. Beat Florida State. Come back home. Got Scott Satterfield's boys coming in town. Off a of bye week. I like Louisville to win. Birds don't have teeth. Give me Miami. Number 19, Wake Forest is a two and a half point favorite of Virginia Tech. Very nervous about this one, despite my previous proclamations that Wake Forest is a very steady and safe investment. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Deacons even on the road here with uh, Wake Forest look, potentially looking ahead to a big game down the road. I was going to say, possible trap game here. Wake Forest goes to Clemson next week, which is, a, yeah, I don't think we picked a Clemson game all year, so we'll definitely pick that one. Um, but yeah, Wake Forest here, they're very good. Yeah, I, I, Virginia Tech should have got blown out last week by Notre Dame. 98-yard uh, scoop and score really skewed that game in a lot of ways. Um, I know they almost won, but Notre Dame was a much better team. I think Wake Forest is a much better team. Virginia Tech has five wins, two of them against FCS opponents. Dave Clawson has his guys too prepared to slip up here. I think they win. I mean, you talk with Wake Forest all the time, so I guess I've taken Wake Forest. Give me Wake Forest. USC at Arizona State. Arizona State's a one and a half point favorite. Yeah, I mean, uh, Arizona State, uh, kind of like the Wake Forest of the, the Pac-12 in a lot of ways, very very steady and consistent in their performances, and it's very much the opposite for USC. And with all the questions swirling around what they might do at the head coaching spot there, I'm, I'm going with the Sun Devils. The questions surrounding Clay Helton's job as he faces his last few weeks as head coach is why I'm picking USC, because mm -hmm. I can't figure them out all year. I feel like the players have played for Helton at times when the noise has gotten the loudest. I also hope that you guys are all picking Arizona State so I can make up some ground here. Yeah, um, at Notre Dame, Arizona, at Colorado, Oregon, uh, only Arizona was sort of a cruise for USC. They're coming off a tough stretch, going to Tempe. I, I think that Herm Edwards has got his guys very focused and USC is still a walking wounded. They're still beat up. 
This has been a long emotional year. I just don't think they have enough in the tank here. I think Arizona State wins. If you've watched the show and made Don't sure, pick against Herm. I never pick against Herm. I'm picking Arizona State. Appalachian State at South Carolina. South Carolina is a five-point favorite. Where are yeah. you going, Connor? Oh, oh I'm, Connor. I'm going with the Mountaineers. Oh. Uh, yeah, this this one hurts, but I mean, all the advanced stats, or at least S&P, SP Plus uh, likes App State better than South Carolina. I think the home field advantage is doing a lot of work in giving South Carolina a, a five-point making them five-point favorites, but I don't know how much that home field advantage will actually play out. I think the fan base is kind of done, and if App State is in it and winning early, they're going to check out. It's going to be a tough scene in Columbia. I think we're all about to be in the doghouse with one of our uh, our very own Ted graphics designer. Look, Appalachian State's going to put up points. I don't trust South Carolina to do the same thing. Connor, correct me if I'm wrong, but Tavian Feaster is very doubtful for this game, too. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe some apathy has set in for South Carolina. So I'm going to App State. Yeah, Who also beat North Carolina. Like, this is not a massive upset by any means. I, I, I wish, I'm, I'm sort of tempted to just take South Carolina because everyone else is taking App State well, at this point. But I can't do that. So I'm going App State. Whoa. I, that's, uh, oh, you got, okay, good. So we got, well, yeah. That's just, hey. Mr. SZ East no, no, over no, no, here no. is going to take care of it. Take, take a screenshot, Ted. Take a no, screenshot of this. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, South Carolina beats Appalachian okay. State. Right. Take a screenshot. Can, I, can we go back to Barton for some analysis? No, I, I just think this is this will be the best offense that South Carolina has played in three weeks. And I think App State, it's, this is a little bit of a Super Bowl type of deal with them. And, and uh, to Connor's point, I'm not sure how motivated South Carolina will be. So give me App State. Number 16, Kansas State at Texas. Texas is the seven-point favorite. Who did I pick? <clears throat> um, Texas, sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I sound confident. I don't really remember what I was thinking on that one. Um, I, maybe Kansas State. So, oh, uh, beat Oklahoma and then rival Kansas. I think maybe it's a little bit of a letdown game going on the road to a, a, a Texas team that's still, uh, you know, still still in the mix for getting into the back uh, the Big Twelve title game. Uh, Texas needs a win in the worst way. Texas is coming off a of bye week. Texas is finally healthy on the defensive side of the ball. Safety Caden Stearns is back. Kansas State is something like 112th in passing offense. That is not going to threaten the Texas defense. I've got Longhorns. I'm shocked that the point spread's this big. This is going to feel really, really good for Tom Herman. Yeah, I, I also have Texas winning here. That said, I mean, this that seven points is a lot of points in this it's game, a lot. it feels like. So I, I, think, I think Kansas State covers this number, uh, but I do think Texas, after a bye, they need this in a big way. I think they, they respond and win. Your boy knew that uh, you guys would pick Texas, so I'm rolling K-State. I got to get back in the race. Screenshot in that. K-State it is. Missouri at number six, Georgia. Georgia's 17-point favorite. Yeah, time in the year, it felt like this might be a massive SEC East clash, but uh, things are going a lot better for Georgia right now than they are for Missouri. I've got the Bulldogs uh, winning. Yeah, Missouri's trash on the road, so Georgia's going to win. I don't know if they cover a week after that emotional game in Jacksonville, but again, Georgia will will cruise. You said it. I think if this was in Columbia, then that'd be a different deal. But on the road in Athens, I just don't see how Georgia can't pull this one off. Georgia wins. Missouri might be one of the worst road teams I've ever seen. Georgia big. Uh, number four, Penn State. Seven-point favorite at number 17, Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, Penn State just has the, the talent differential is just going to be too much even on the road to a fired up Minnesota team very excited about locking up their head coach to a, to an extension uh, the Nittany Lions are just too good Minnesota has a halftime lead because PJ Flex gonna have this crowd fired up his team's gonna be juiced up they're gonna have some tricks for Penn State but Penn State gets back in the game with his defense KJ Hamler busts a big play yeah, I, I think at some point, whether it's quarter three, quarter four, four, it's just too much talent, too much speed on defense. I really think Minnesota is actually a really good team. I don't think they're frauds. Um, I think that this is a really good wide receiver group. They've got playmakers on defense. The run game is stout, but this is Penn State is not taking Minnesota lightly. So I think Penn State uh, gets it done and wins. Big fan of this Penn State team. I think they win big. Uh, number two, LSU at number three, Alabama, the big one. Alabama's a six and a half point favorite. 
Yeah, it kind of feels weird like I'm going against the grain picking the, the team that's a touchdown favorite at home in this one. But I am going with Bama. I kind of think I, I, I'm a big fan of LSU and everything that they're doing, but I kind of wonder if it's like shiny new object syndrome and we're kind of forgetting that Alabama is just as good as, as they were last year. There are questions about Tua's health. There are no questions about LSU's offensive ability. I think LSU wins in a shootout. The game of the year win by three points. Yeah, um, it feels odd because, like Connor said, a lot of people seem to like LSU, and that usually means that uh, you should go the other way. But I, I just can't, I can't do it. I, I, when you watch these two teams, LSU just seems more airtight this year. It, it seems more buttoned up. Uh, I think defensively, uh, Alabama and all those freshmen that are playing as talented as they are, this is the game where some of those guys get exposed, especially at the linebacker position where LSU can really compromise you and threaten you. I think Joe Burrow is the quarterback that LSU has been missing, not because of his physical ability, but because, and that's important, but because he is a no flinch, no blink guy in that moment, I think he will embrace it. Uh, that's the sort of edge LSU's been missing in this game. I think Joe Burrow gives it to him and they win. I've wow. gone back and forth on this one, but there's just something about LSU this year. It's got that, I don't know, that teams usually have when they make runs to championships. And I, I just think they have it this year. So I'm going LSU. Wow. Um, yeah, I can't wow. believe three of us have LSU here. But I I, 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 wow. I think they, they get it done. Um, wow. Well, that's it, fellas. Any wow. uh, parting shots? Wow. No, I'm ready for the weekend. This is going to be. We got a game of the century. ahead on the swivel. We got PJ Fleck versus James Franklin. We got Texas back in the win column. It's going to be great. All right. Well, thanks for the guys in the back. Colin, Aaron, getting it done. Big thanks. Ted, thank you for Barton, Trey, Connor. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.